Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm best-selling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Welcome back to episode 389 of The Paleo View. I am human again, and I'm excited to dive in to today's topic. How are you, Sarah? I, I'm good, actually. I have to say, um, you know, when we talked last week and you um, were, like, really, I think, expending every ounce of energy you had in order to be coherent. Um, and uh, and I was sort of like, yeah, you know, I've been fighting off this thing, but I, I think I've skipped it. I, I did, and I feel really fortunate because the, you know, where we are, like everyone we know is just dropping like flies. Like it's just, it, it's, there's, there's some, I mean, not just like coronavirus scary stuff, but they're like, just like the normal cold and flu season stuff that's going around this year seems pretty nasty. So I'm going to count my lucky stars every single time I feel like I've dodged one. Yeah. I was surprisingly pleased with how quickly I recovered while I do still have a little bit of a Stevie Nicks situation happening right now. <laughs> um, the worst of the exhaustion and the fever and all of that kind of stuff passed within, I would say like a two to three day window. I'm not exactly sure from the sleeping perspective, but um, I was thrilled considering as I explained last week that I had been traveling and I had you know, had alcohol and I had kind of stretched my food limitations that I usually had to things that, you know, were what I would consider kind of like indulgences that I enjoy once in a while. Um, like corn, for example, for mm-hmm. me is something I really can't do at all. And um, when I'm eating at a buffet, it's something that somebody else is um, the boss of. It's like, okay, I'm just gonna do the things that I know I like avoid the things I really can't do like nightshades and gluten and then I'll be okay. Except then I got exposed to gluten. Um, and some, something was mislabeled. Like, I'm not going to say it's, you know, anybody's fault. I'm not mad at anybody. Like sometimes things just happen. And so when all of those things combined and then you sit next to someone on the plane who has the flu, (laughs) like that's a, you know, ripe, um, invitation from my immune system to, to welcome those germs. So when it only lasted three days, I was like, Oh, okay, I can do this. And it just so happened to work out that, um, Matt had passed his, we haven't talked about this much, but Matt is like officially a mailman. He graduates postal Academy first, first in his class today. So proud of my little mailman, but, um, he had passed the driving portion of his certification early, like he had done so well, because he's, you know, a super mailman, that he had had half the week off. And it just so happened that that was the half a week that I got back from California and wasn't feeling well, and he could take care of us. And so everything worked out and everything's fine. And um, thank you to everyone who was worried about or checking in on me. I am like back to normal, except that I've been a work from home parent yesterday and today because the kids are off for teacher work days. And this has been a whole new experience for me trying to like manage the house and get my work done and also deal with a house full of teens and tweens because of course they invite their friends over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it's just I've been um, singing the song from Aladdin, A Whole New World. Like this is <laughs> this is the thing that I do when I'm like feeling it or when I'm explaining to the boys that the rules have changed and that they I have higher expectations of them than Matt did because Matt was just a nice guy who would do the dishes or pick up their dirty laundry and I'm like "Mm -mm, no mm -mm, no (laughs) mommy's not playing that game it's a whole new world (laughs) like you're gonna do this stuff but it's also a whole new world for me here at home so yes I have to say because I also um am a parent who breaks out into song whenever appropriate and it's typically from Disney movies, although 
there's there's some other other animation. There might be like some Lego movie, right? You know, there's there's some other great things thrown in. Um, periodically, it'll be Broadway, but uh, oh my, it just drives my kids crazy whenever they're like, no, don't break in it. No, <laughs> this is an unusual thing for me. I mean, I don't know. If that's true. I I guess I'm. I grew up with my mom singing weird songs, but not like with a message. Like she really liked the songs. We're completely off on a tangent now. Spoon Man. Do you remember that song from um, Our Youth? It's like a grunge song. Um, I don't think it was actually Spoon Man. I might recognize if I heard it. I don't know. It was like Pearl Jam or something. It's probably different words. But my mom, anytime she got a spoon out of the drawer, she would like sneak up on my brother and me and be like, Spoon Man. (laughs) Um, and so it is a good, my mom would be like Raffi. She'd be like, it's mine, but you can have some, like she would have all the, like the little children's music. I think that says a lot about our different childhood message in it. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that my mom was singing like nineties grunge rock and your mom was singing Raffi probably covers a lot of the differences in our personalities. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just move right along. Yeah, let's. We've got an awesome topic. I'm really excited about this one because this is a question that um, came into our inbox and it is from uh, somebody who attended my workshop last year and like basically had a follow-up question on the healthy weight loss um, session that I did, which is actually, you know, I should mention to our listeners Um, we've covered a lot of this material in previous episodes and I actually like dug up all the episodes where we've covered bits and pieces of the background on which this question is sort of based and we'll make sure that's in the show notes. So if you are a, you know, relatively new listener and you haven't like binge listened to every single 388 episodes prior to this one, we'll have like the targeted ones where we've touched on various bits and pieces but also that um, that entire session is its own sort of encapsulated online course on my website. It's called the Healthy Weight Loss Online Course. And it really has this focus on not just how to lose weight, but basically how to lose weight in a healthy way so that it's easy to maintain that weight loss. Because the science basically tells us that, you know, every weight loss diet is effective, Um, there's, you know, some minor differences between them, but basically if it's a diet that is designed for weight loss, you can lose weight on it. The trick is, is that maintaining that weight loss, uh, for the vast majority of those diets is, um, we're basically physiologically setting ourselves up to fail. It's not just that it's hard. It's not just that the diet mentality means that when we go off, we, you know, fall back into our old habits. It's not that it is the fact that most weight loss diets will result in two things. One is the reduction of our basal metabolic rate. So that means we burn fewer calories at rest. That means that we need fewer calories to maintain our weight, which means we need to eat less or exercise more or both in order to maintain a caloric deficit to keep losing weight. At the same time as the hunger hormone ghrelin just keeps going up and up and up, meaning our hunger increases. So we need fewer calories to maintain uh, or to keep going, right, on on our weight loss journeys at the same time as we're getting hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. And that is like eventually, like instinct kicks in and and you just like, you can't, you can't uh, muscle through that situation forever. And that's when most people end up you know, yo-yoing, right? Falling off the wagon. And it's driven physiologically through this adaptation to the way most weight loss diets are structured with pretty intense caloric deficits along with nutritional deficits. And so this uh, online course was really designed to bust a lot of diet myths as well as um, really set the groundwork for understanding how to set smart goals and structure both diet and lifestyle in order to lose weight in a sustainable way, meaning that it's it's not just about 
you know, losing pounds quickly or how many pounds that we can lose, but that we set ourselves up to really address the lifelong habits and lose weight in a smart way so that we're not physiologically setting ourselves up to fail. So this is a, this question from Lauren is a follow-up question to that information. I think makes a lot of sense. I'm excited to dig in. I know for me, there's a lot of historical hormone issues from a lifetime of messed upness. And I think that um, knowing things for people about what are some of the best practice ways to try to get them re-regulated is important because it's not just a matter of, like you said, in and out. There are so many hormones at play that you really can um, affect long-term with a lot mm-hmm. of different things that I know I have done basically everything on the, like, don't do it checklist. Cause it'll mess up your hormones. So I'm like the, yep, I did all that. <laughs> um, but before we jump into the science in the show, I want to thank our sponsor this week, Juve, you and I both love their red light therapy and yes. they have been a longtime sponsor on the show because we love to work with people who we genuinely use and love. And this product makes a lot of sense. I'm sure you'll talk a little bit about why that is. Um, But people want to dig in, they can go to your blog post um, on the paleomom.com. If you just Google Juve Red Light Therapy Paleo Mom or in the search bar on your website, it'll come up. But we'll put a link in the show notes as well. Yeah, I actually, I I think Juve is a a really good sponsorship match for this topic in part because of exactly what you were talking about, about some of the hormonal challenges that arise from a lot of the fad diets that have been popular over the last 40 years, right? So um, I think one of the struggles that a lot of us have that brings us to this community is that we've broken ourselves in a lot of ways from various attempts to lose weight over the years. And uh, one of the things that we've talked about um, in previous shows, and we can again put put links in the show notes, is that there's certainly some preliminary evidence that the infrared wavelengths um, that Juve Red Light Therapy provides can help uh, regulate hormones. And also the red wavelengths can actually help to liberate fat from fat cells, which bypasses a lot of the hormonal signals that might make accessing stored energy more challenging. For example, if you know cortisol is elevated, right? Or if we're insulin resistant, it'd be harder to really access stored energy. And those red wavelengths basically create like pores in fat cells. I mean, you know, it's it's only um it's only fairly surface, right? So it's going down a couple of centimeters. But over time, that helps to liberate energy that we would, it's then our responsibility to uh, utilize those calories. Otherwise, we're just going to store them again. But it's um, in addition to like, that's not why we're using it. We're using it for all of the anti-inflammatory benefits. Uh, There's definitely some, um, uh, can I say vanity benefits, right? Just improved you know, skin elasticity and skin health. It's, it's just nice. But one of the reasons why I was sort of excited that, that Juve wanted to sponsor the show is as we get into some of the um, sort of minutia in terms of Lauren's question, which is really about metabolism, that this is another tool in our, in our, in our big toolbox in terms of helping to promote healthy weight loss. But I really should read Lauren's question after teasing it so many times, shouldn't I? I'm interested. Let's do it. Lauren says, hi, I went to the Paleo Mom workshop in February. It was lovely. And I meant to ask this question. At the workshop, we talked about working out and hunger hormones. When we talk about exercise and weight loss, is there science behind high-intensity workouts that you burn more calories throughout the day after the workout if the workout is intense enough? Or do you simply burn the calories during the workout and it stops there? I've read that there isn't much science behind this theory, but I think it may be a hypothesis. Thank you, Lauren. I am very excited to answer this question because there is lots of science. (laughs) I also love that she used the word hypothesis. So can we just take like five seconds? Because 
as someone who has a kid, like who just did a really cool science fair project, hypothesis is an important word that I think a lot of people misunderstand, um, which is to say that you can't say anything is more than a hypothesis until it is proven. And it is sometimes difficult to prove a lot of things. Like you can have an kind of educated guess, so to speak, is what I think of a hypothesis. Um, Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Right? And so you're like, well, okay, this says this and this says this, but we can't really do studies on humans and therefore this thing, right? Or the one that um, they teach kids in school now is the Big Bang Theory is a hypothesis because no one existed to prove it, right? <laughs> like it's an educated guess. So I think that there's a lot of things when it comes to um, science that people hear hypothesis and they think, oh, that's maybe just something that like someone's guessing. But it's a little more than that. It's it's based on something that you can prove, um, that you can point to and say, this makes sense and here's why I think it, but I have to prove it in order to be the basis of something. So I'm excited to hear about the science that maybe turns a hypothesis into fact or if this is, you know, when we're looking at things like, is it... Um, causational versus um, coincidence and that kind of stuff that Mm -hmm. we look at and consider in the evaluation of hypothesis. Look at Um, me being the layman's scientist. (laughs) No, I love it Um, because I think it's really important to emphasize um, and we're going to get into some places where the science is not super clear and there's conflicting data and we just need more information to be able to really tease out what the effects are. Um, But I want to expand on that because one of the things that uh, you very eloquently established was that a hypothesis is not just a guess. It is um, what you do to formulate a hypothesis is you look at what is currently known and you're either um, trying to explain why something happens or expand, uh, you know, and predicting um, based on what you currently know, predicting something might happen if the you know conditions are right. And so it's, it is, as you said, educated guess is, I think, a, a really good way to explain it. Um, but I want to expand on that and take a moment to explain how a hypothesis is different from a theory, which Lauren also used that word. And uh, a theory in science is a accepted explanation for a phenomenon for which the vast majority of data supports. So... Um, it would be uh, the word theory, like in conversation, you say, oh, I have a theory about that. We're actually using it the way a scientist uses the word hypothesis. In science, the word theory is like, no, it's the theory of gravity. <laughs> like it is mathematically explained. It is tested. Um, it is very, very well understood. All the vast majority of our scientific experiments point to the fact that uh, gravity exists and that we can explain it with Newton's laws. So um, the word theory in science is quite different from the word hypothesis. The word theory in science means that this is something that is um, the accepted explanation for which there is a vast amount of scientific uh, experimental data um, to support as the explanation. So, um, I think, I think those are really important to keep in mind because especially as we get into today's topic on exercise and metabolism and how that may benefit weight loss over the long term, uh, we are definitely somewhere in between those two things. So there, there are some really fascinating studies, very well controlled. Um, but there's definitely some details that we still don't know. So one of the things that Lauren alluded to in her question was the idea that exercise is beneficial to weight loss through regulation of hunger hormones. And that's one of the things that I I kind of want to review because I, I don't know that we've talked about this on the podcast before. But one of the things that I mentioned in our intro is that Um, most weight loss diets set us up physiologically to fail through these two mechanisms, tanking our basal metabolic rate, so our our metabolism is lower, and increasing the hunger hormone ghrelin. What's really interesting is that there are um, a 
a couple of studies now that show that if you achieve the same caloric deficit, one through food restriction and one through exercise, this is typically done with cardio, but there, is, there are studies using other um, formats of activity to, that also show the same thing, that if you achieve the same, let's say, um, let's say it's like an 800 calorie deficit. I'm actually pulling that from a scientific study that actually did an 800 calorie deficit. Um, one was on, you know, either with a treadmill or with food. So what they show is that when we achieve that caloric deficit through food restriction, we feel hungrier and that hunger magnifies over time. And that's directly caused by increasing ghrelin. Whereas when you achieve that same level of caloric deficit through exercise, our hunger is the same as if we didn't have a caloric deficit, right? So as if we were consuming the same number of calories as we actually are burning in a day. So that is a really important thing to know in terms of um, weight loss because there, there's um, – Diet is important, right? Diet is um, very important from a uh, lean muscle mass preservation effect, from a nutrients for supporting metabolism. As we're burning fat, we're producing a lot of oxidants, so we actually need a lot more antioxidants when we're while we're losing weight, right? So uh, I don't want to say that we just burn off all these calories and that's how we lose weight, but it is a very important aspect for managing the physiological adaptations to weight loss that set ourselves up to fail. And in fact, there's, we've talked about this on the show before, the, the research that was published in 2016, I think, on the Biggest Loser contestants that really, um, really proved how problematic this dual effect is of increase in ghrelin with decrease in basal metabolic rate. And one of the things that they showed was that weight loss maintenance did not correlate with caloric intake in those contestants, but completely did with exercise. And so basically, the more physically active those contestants were after the season had ended that they participated on, the more likely they were to maintain their weight loss. And so exercise provides these, this sort of interesting benefit to hunger but there's more to it than that. So I think it's important, we've talked about it on the show before, that um, losing weight is not as simple as calories in versus calories out, but calories do matter. And a caloric deficit is required to lose weight. There has to be an energy deficit. Um, there's hormones that are involved here. There's uh, nutrients, as I just mentioned, that are involved here, right? So there, there, it, it's, there is a lot more at play, but you can't lose weight if your calories in are more than your calories out. Um, so that it's still a really important factor. Where exercise comes into play, in addition to helping to regulate hunger through weight loss, is in uh, a lot of actually regulating those hormones. So for example, it improves insulin sensitivity. Um, insulin resistance is one of the things that messes up that um, very simplistic view of calories in versus calories out because if you're insulin resistant, you have your body has a much harder time accessing stored energy. In in which case, um, you start you're you're burning more calories, but you're not able to burn. Uh, you're burning more calories because you're not taking in as much calories, but then you're still not able to access your fat stores, um, and that can set up a lot of. Um, like really nasty, like physiological biochemistry that um, also results in things like inflammation, but also less weight loss. Um, exercise through weight loss is known to help maintain lean muscle mass. So it helps to preserve basal metabolic rate, especially resistance training through weight loss. Um there is a metabolic boost that happens during weight loss and afterwards, which is the, the crux of, of Lauren's question. We're going to get into that. Exercise is also known to improve gut microbiome composition, and there is definitely a link between gut dysbiosis and weight gain and obesity. And, um, 
and we've got this additional, right? So we've got this dual dual benefit of exercise through weight loss of improving basal met- metabolic rate, preserving lean muscle mass, contributing to a caloric deficit. This is much more than dual. This is like quintuple, as well as helping to regulate hunger hormones. I just want to reiterate what you said, which is that we have talked about a lot of aspects of this throughout our entire show's like yes. history. And for those of you who as I would not recommend going back through every single show and trying to find them. Um, here's some of them. If you want to write them down, of course, you can always refer to the show notes on either of our sites to get the numbers and links and information. But um, on 195, we talked about weight loss research. 196, we talked about the obesity paradox. 197, carbohydrate insulin hypothesis. Look, there's that magic word. Mm-hmm. Um 198, we did a follow-up to the weight loss show. And then 353 was one of my favorites, the Beachbody yo-yo discussion. And 386 recently on intermittent fasting. Um, Early on, we did 140, the dangers of ketogenic diets. And then as you were talking about um, relation to insulin, 305, we did kind of a deep dive into insulin and why it's important and awesome. And, you know things to be aware of, not, not just from, it's so awesome, just add a whole bunch to your life, but it is important for your body. And we went into the deep dive on that. So um, what did I miss? Uh, no, I think that was, that was a really good, um, the reason why I think it's important to, to point our listeners towards those previous episodes is because they sort of collectively explain a lot of the caloric deficit piece, the macronutrient piece, um, you know, as we're going to talk about basal metabolic rate and the, you know, post-exercise boost in metabolism that we get from different types of exercise, I really want to emphasize that, um, you know, this data points to um, activity as being a really important piece to not just healthy living, but to healthy weight loss and um, incorporating the the types of activities I'm going to talk about, you know, is is really important for long-term weight loss success. Um, But that's not necessarily at the expense of also the hard work in terms of healthy diet. And so um, we've we've talked about a lot of that before, and I I really just want to hone in on Lauren's question which is, um, is the benefit of exercise just from the calories you burn while doing it? And then you get some of this, you know, hormonal aspect, the long-term muscle building aspect, like all those good things from that, say 30 minutes that you dedicated to exercise, or is this whole idea of a metabolic boost after exercise true? Um, spoiler, it is true. Um, but let's start with just looking at, like, you know, exercise and what kind of calories we're going to burn doing what kinds of exercise. Generally, exercise that has been traditionally viewed as cardio generally um, results in more calories burned per hour when we're actually doing it. There are some um, definite exceptions. So, for example, very heavy weightlifting can burn as much calories as um, running, for example. So there's um, a lot more data in terms of cardio, which is really interesting. Um, and the data in terms of like looking at how much, uh, how many calories per hour, say, um, an Olympic lifter might burn in a training session is now starting to show that that intensity of lifting burns as much calories as, right, the equivalent intensity of you know, an endurance activity, for example, um, anytime that you add load. So for example, hiking with a backpack is going to burn way more calories than hiking without. So, um, if you were just, you know, going for a walk, throw on a 50 pound pack, you're going to burn depending, you know, depending on a lot of factors, right? So how many calories you burn in exercise depends on your basal metabolic rate, your, um, body composition, uh, how, big your body is. So how much weight you're moving as whether, no matter what body composition is happening there. Um, you know, so 
there's a lot of things that will go into this, whether you're male or female. So all of those types of calculations are typically estimates anyways. But generally, putting a 50-pound pack on your back when you're hiking as opposed to not carrying that weight is going to burn a substantially more calories, if not double the calories. So um, overall, on average, cardio burns more than traditional strength training activities, with the exception of strength weightlifting at a, at a very uh, intense level. Um, so if you are um, doing whether it's uh, powerlifting or Olympic lifting, if you are working at a substantial percentage of your, you know, one, three or five rep max, now we're getting into a similar territory in terms of uh, calories burned during the actual exercise. Now, most of the studies looking at the metabolic boost that you get after exercise, traditionally, most of the studies that looked at that looked at cardio type exercise. And there is a, a vast body of scientific literature showing that we do get a metabolic boost um, that can last hours after exercise. How high the boost is typically related to how intense the exercise is and then how long it lasts is typically related to the duration. So typically the longer you work out, the longer your boost is going to last and the more intense you work out, the higher that boost is going to be over your basal metabolic rate. Um, but what's interesting is in the last few years, there's been some studies that have started to like expand on trying to understand that. And so there've been some studies that have shown that, um, that like short burst, um, you know, activity doing something intermittent can have a, a really dramatic boost, uh, on our metabolisms after we're done exercising and it doesn't need to be much. So there was one, um, one study that looked at literally, it was like two minute sprints on a um, stationary bicycle with three minute rest periods in between. And they, the same participants either did one of those, two of those, or three of those. And, it, and they all did like each, they would just sort of randomly do one on different days. And the study actually showed that um, they had a significantly increased metabolism. If they did three of those two-minute sprints, that metabolism stayed elevated for four hours afterwards. That's six minutes of exercise. Metabolism is up for four hours. If they only did two, their metabolism was up for about an hour. And if they only did one, their metabolism was up for 30 minutes. So um, there's definitely an impact of how much we do, but it can we get a boost from what would be considered a, a fairly small amount of especially intense exercise. And then, of course, you know, overall, exercise longer, that's you're going to get a me metabolic boost for longer. So there was another study where um, uh, participants, young, healthy males, uh, cycled at approximately 80% of VO2 max, which is a pretty, that, that would be a non-conversational pace. So that would be, um, you know, you can you can say a word <laughs> here or there, but you're not you're not chatting away as as you're as you're working out. Um, they cycled for 45 minutes, and they had a metabolic boost that lasted 14 hours. Um, and the actual was interesting. The calculations of like how much extra calories they burnt over that 14 hours from that metabolic boost, they calculated it was an extra 190 calories that was just from the metabolic boost over those those. 14 hours. It basically translated to a 30%, 37% increase over the calories burned during cycling. So that is a very 14 hours effect. Is, I was going to say 14 hours is longer than I would have expected. I always just wait, just wait. Okay. We got, okay. we got even uh, more exciting data coming up. Okay. Um, <laughs> just I keep know. biting right, my 14 tongue. hours sounds really high. Just wait. Um, so um, most of studies that have looked at cardio, and it's typically either cycling or treadmills, have basically shown that by 24 hours later, uh, metabolism returns to normal. There have been a couple of exceptions. Um, so there was a study that did 80 minutes of cycling at 70 to 75% VO2 max, which is a still, right, that's a, a very intense very long cycling and their metabolism was still 5% higher than their basal metabolic rate at 24 hours later. 
um, in young, healthy men. So there, there are a couple of studies that basically have really pushed how much exercise, how much training um, people are doing and shown that metabolism can still be boosted even 24 hours later. But m the vast majority of studies that have looked at cardio have shown by 24 hours, we're, we're, back, to, we're back to a normal level, which is why it's very interesting to look at strength training. So in strength training, um, there have been some really interesting studies. So a lot of this is circuit training, um, but there have there are more that look more like a traditional weightlifting workout. And we're talking about substantially elevated metabolism, 16, 24, even 38 hours after exercise. So the boost that we get from metabolism or the boost in our metabolism that we get from strength training appears to last a lot longer than the boost that we get from cardio. And this has been, you know, it's, it's obviously exactly how the, the study is set up. You get quite different results. So for example, young, healthy women did an hour and 40 minutes of strength training. Their metabolism was boosted 26% uh, higher than normal for the first 30 minutes, 13% higher than normal for the next three hours, and they were still 4.2% higher than normal 16 hours later. And at that 16 hours later, it's like basically the next morning after an afternoon workout the day before, they still had a 62% increase in resting fat oxidation, which means they were still, it wasn't just that their metabolism was higher, they, were, they still had an increased um, level of accessing stored energy, stored fat to fuel that metabolic boost. So that is very exciting. And men seem to have an even better metabolic boost after training. I mean, they also tend to burn more calories when they're working out. Um, I could, I could say that I'm jealous, but it, I mean, it's true. I'm jealous. Let's, let's just say it. So there've been studies that have shown that at 16 hours, men still have a 4.7% higher boost. Um, when the rest period between their sets is reduced, so it's three minutes instead of four at 16 hours, they have a 9.4% increase over their, their, uh, normal metabolism. Um, it just generally seems to be, um, when we do strength training, um, there seems to be a much longer tail in terms of how long metabolism lasts. And there's even studies that have, com have compared like circuit training type resistance training to treadmill and shown that the initial level the, of like how much that boost is. So not only does it last longer, but in that first, say, hour, um, 30 minutes or so after exercise, the boost is higher from resistance training. So um, overall, most typically, the way most people do weightlifting, they're not going to burn as many calories during, let's say, an hour of exercise compared to if they were doing a step aerobics class. Um, but the metabolic boost, both initially, is higher and it lasts much longer. Um, and there was actually one study that was like, let's just see how long this lasts. They did uh, oh, basically only 30 minutes of resistance training and showed that at 38 hours, there was still a significantly elevated metabolism and that by 43 hours, which is like almost two days, 43 hours was when it finally returned to normal. So that I think makes a fairly strong case for the metabolic benefits for weightlifting resistance type training, in addition to the fact that that over time increases basal metabolic rate through building more muscle, right? So there's these two effects, right? The boost in metabolism right away, as well as the long-term benefits of building muscle. Overall, I think it's great to do both. Um, but before I talk about what happens when you do both, um, one of the things that I found very interesting is the, the couple of studies that have looked at volume. So uh, when you're uh, doing some any kind of weightlifting, um, I know that my my daughter came home from her weightlifting class yesterday and she her final uh, set of back squat was 10 reps at 85 pounds. She was super proud of herself because it was PR and she was like, that's 85 850 pounds of volume, which uh, 
as a family of math nerds, I super appreciated. But often weightlifters will think of their workouts in terms of the total volume uh, that they actually lifted, uh, in addition to, of course, any like, you know, any milestones. And so there's been a couple of different studies that have looked at whether or not it's volume or intensity that's really driving that metabolic boost. And it's at this point, the two studies that have really looked at it show the opposite of each other. So one study compared um, like one set at the heaviest versus three sets and basically showed that, yeah, if you, if you do three sets, you definitely burn more calories. But when you correct for the, the time that's invested, there's basically no difference in the metabolic boost um, from that exercise session. So, um, you know, volume has benefits, but it's not in the metabolic boost. And then there was an, another study that basically said, well, if you keep volume the same, but you do high rep, low weight versus um, low rep, high weight, but the same total volume, actually the metabolic boost from that is the same. So one is basically making a case for intensity being the big driver of that metabolic boost. The other study is showing making a case for, for volume being the, the driver of that metabolic boost. At this point, we don't really know. Um, but there is a, a good body of literature now showing that the metabolic boost, I mean, you get a metabolic boost no matter what kind of exercise you do, but it's going to last longer with some kind of strength training. Now, there have been some studies that have combined them, which I think is super cool. So um, this is really interesting because there are a couple of studies that show that if you do cardio first and then your resistance training, that you actually burn more calories during your workout, like substantially more, like doing the same amount of work. Um, so th these participants did uh, 30 minutes of either speed walking or jogging on the treadmill. It was um, determined based on their heart rate and 25 minutes of resistance training. And they either did the treadmill walking or jogging first or the, the, the resistance training first, but they did both. And when they did their um, aerobic exercise first, they burnt uh, like 431 calories compared to 398 calories, doing the exact same amount of work, but doing the resistance training first. I thought that was very cool. And studies that well, have I looked at, yeah? I just was going to say, I think this also is dependent on what your goals are. And I think like <sighs> sure. when I was personal training or when I was training for strongman or whatever, I, I remember when I started CrossFit and they were like, what's your goal? Is your goal to lose weight prior primarily, or is your goal to get strong primarily? And I'm like, I want both. And they're like, no, no, no. You, you need to choose which is your priority. And this is a really good example of that, which is that if you do your cardio first and then you do your lifting, your body will use the calories from within and you will get more of a weight loss boost versus mm -hmm. what I did. That's kind of the um, strongman. I mean, the uh, CrossFit way versus the strongman way for me was to always do the cardio at the end of the session so that you're building that muscle mass as the priority versus the opposite, right? So it's like, sure. is there benefit and health wise uh, from a metabolism and strength training and um, all of the other health benefits of exercise, absolutely to both scenarios. But I think, you know, there are some people that probably listen that are interested in hitting PRs and those kinds of things. And you might hear, oh, if I do cardio first, then I'll lose more weight. But also consider that they like, you need to know what your priorities are before you jump into changing a routine like that. I, I also, um, I was going to emphasize this towards the, the end here, um, but I think I'm going to mention it now because I feel like that was the perfect segue, which is we are talking about relatively small differences over 24 hours. So we're talking about the differences of like 40 or 50 calories compared, you know, if you did your cardio versus your um, strength training, you know, in terms of basal metabolic rate. And that does make a difference, right? If you burn 50 more calories doing nothing because you worked out this morning, that's like bonus 50 calories. That's fantastic. But that's also translating to like six extra pounds a year. Um, it's a, it's a fairly 
small effect. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things I want to emphasize before I get into this last study, which is also pretty interesting, is that, um, is that it's most important to set yourself up to do an activity that you like, that you will stick with, um, something that you feel good about, that your body likes, um, you know, keeping in mind, we have talked about it on the show before that exercising at too intense a level can be problematic from a gut health and hormone health perspective, right? So it's, it's, it is also very important to um, keep your intensity and your sport at something that is also sustainable, right? It doesn't, you can dial this in perfectly for a week and it's really not going to make a big difference in the long run if after a week you're like, oh, can't, can't even get my butt off the couch to get to the gym. So, um, so I, I think this is, you know, academically very, very interesting and for a lot of people, optimizing at this level is very, very helpful. Um, but I think the the bigger the bigger take home that I really want to emphasize from this entire conversation is that um, exercise is an important component of healthy weight loss, but it's also an, just an important component of healthy living. And uh, as my yoga teacher used to always say, do it so that you like it, so that you like doing it. And I think that's, um, to me, the, the most important approach to exercise. Agreed. And as someone who has transitioned the different types of activities I've done a lot throughout my life, both from a younger age to older, I think um, it really is about finding something you enjoy doing so that you seek wanting to do it, right? It's, mm -hmm. um, it's about habits. And we've talked a lot about that on the show. But if you don't actually enjoy what you're doing, then find something else that you do. Uh, <laughs> so, or that feels good, you know, from an inflammation perspective for a lot of our listeners mm -hmm. who have autoimmune or whatever, right? Like, if you feel like your cortisol is dysregulated, or you have uh, long-lasting inflammation after an exercise, that's not a good fit, even if you're losing weight, right? And yep. um, sometimes this is where weight loss does not equal health, and we've talked about that mm -hmm. a lot on the show. So making sure that you are f like feel your best and are excited to do something, I think, are are key ways to think about if what you're doing is is a good fit for you. A hundred percent agree. Um, so I found this last paper, I think it was just published last year, and I found this really interesting because it brings in a whole different part to this conversation. So what they did is they looked at, um, you know, I should emphasize that interval training has been shown to provide a bigger metabolic boost. Um, so uh, combining basically uh, that sort of short burst, intense um, uh, type cardio with rest periods, with strength training, definitely provides the, the biggest metabolic boost. And this study confirmed that. Um, so they, they basically compared a cardio first, then resistance training to a resistance training first, then cardio to alternating, which would have, you know, would sort of be like a hit style workout. Um, a lot of CrossFit workouts are sort of designed that way, right? You would go do a, you know, clean and jerk, and then you would go do a bike sprint or whatever, right? Like you, you would kind of combine those types of movements. Um, and so what they did was they, they compared those three things and showed that the, the metabolic boost was the highest and lasted the longest in that alternating resistance versus endurance. So rather than doing one first and then the second, you, you know, you're going back and forth, back and forth. Um, they also confirmed the previous studies that showed that doing cardio first and then resistance training did lead to a slightly higher um, metabolic boost than the other way around. But one of the things that the study measured that I thought was super interesting was perceived exertion. Um, so perceived exertion is a semi-quantitative measurement. So it's basically uh, ask you a bunch of questions. How hard are you working right now? Um, how, you know, it can be like, how, how many words can you say before you start panting? Right. So there's, there's different ways to sort of put a number on this. And what they showed was that, um, if you did your, 
um, if you alternated, basically, um, or if you did your resistance training uh, first and then your endurance training, that your perceived exertion was much higher. And so that basically means that you feel like you're working harder, you're um, going to fatigue faster in that situation, um, you're basically going to, you're going to be more tired afterwards, right? Like that perceived exertion does have implications for the rest of the day. And what they showed was that the lowest perceived exertion was doing the endurance tr type training first and then the resistance training, um, compared to either resistance training and then endurance or alternating. So even though, alternating gave the best metabolic boost. There was this like sweet spot of, uh, doing cardio and then resistance training also gave a really good metabolic boost, but also had the lowest perceived exertion. So that to me, I thought was a really interesting way to sort of summarize all this information that, you know, basically the take home is yes, exercise does boost your metabolism. Um, it will be quite a lot higher for, anywhere between like 30 minutes to a few hours afterwards, depending on what type of exercise you did, how intense it was and how long it lasted. And then it will like slowly gradually return to normal, but it'll stay above normal for 24, 36 hours, depending on what type of exercise you've done. Maybe it's only 12 hours if you, you know, just did something that's pure cardio. Um, and this is on top of, the other benefits of exercise, for example, you know, restoring insulin sensitivity, um, it's really good for liver health and your liver is doing a lot of work through weight loss. Um, so that's also really beneficial. The benefits to the gut microbiome, the benefits to basal metabolic rate, to hunger hormone management. Um, but I thought it might also be nice to sort of put into perspective you know, what I've already sort of said is that the differences here is you're talking about something like 50, maybe at most you're talking about a hundred calories in a day. Um, that can definitely add up over time. But if you're talking about, if I do, you know, if I do the workout that I really love and over 24 hours, it's 50 calories less than the workout that I really don't like doing, I think it's much more important to do the workout that you love doing than it is to get that 50 calorie extra metabolic boost. But there's also other things that are known to boost metabolism. So protein has what is called, uh, it has the highest, what's called thermal effect of food. So it just digesting protein increases your basal metabolic rate by 15 to 30%. Um, you know, obviously it doesn't last as long as, as exercising, but um, we get the highest boost in metabolism when we eat high protein. And high protein has also been shown um, to help preserve lean muscle mass through weight loss. So when, you, when we lose weight, our body does tend to break down some muscle and burn some muscle on top of burning fat, especially if we're losing weight through pure caloric restriction. And that is true um, for low carb, it's true for low fat, it's tr true for keto. Um, you know, if there's a, a big caloric restriction, we're, we're burning muscle. And the only thing that has been shown to help preserve muscle through weight loss is the combination of eating a high protein diet with doing some resistance training activity. So that combination tends to, um, close to preserve, you can actually build more muscle through weight loss, um, with, with that combo. Um, so eating a higher protein diet, about 30% of calories from protein has been shown in a variety of scientific studies to be really beneficial for not just weight loss success, but dealing with that, um, physiological adaptation that is making it so hard to maintain the weight loss. So that's another great thing to do to boost metabolism through weight loss. Um, but there's some interesting things like just drinking a, you know, big bottle of water, can increase our metabolism for up to an hour. So um, hydrating can be really helpful. Getting enough sleep is really, really important. Um, so it's more that sleep deprivation seems to reduce our metabolism, but um, there's a really, really huge link between inadequate sleep and um, risk of weight gain and obesity and 
a strong link between getting sufficient sleep and successful weight loss. So, um, so I think that, you know, pulling that all together, the real take home message is, um, is that exercise is important and, um, it's important whether or not you're trying to lose weight because it makes us healthier. Um, keeping in mind again, that we've talked about the problems associated with over-exercising, exercising either at too intense of a level or for too long for our physical fitness. And that obviously changes depending on our own, um, activity history and our own health. Um, but activity overall is a really important factor for not just successful weight loss and successful weight loss maintenance, but just lifelong health in general. I love it. I think, um, one of the things that I forgot to mention earlier in the show, um, one of the episodes that was one of my favorite, Mm. um, was 367 where we talked about weight loss for kids. Um, and while the show was focused on like the title was kids and weight loss, it was addressing this idea of, um, taking on, weight loss for aesthetics versus versus health versus health and how Mm -hmm. that can impact little bodies, but also mentally for all of us who are adult sized, if aesthetics is our goal instead of health, what that can do. And so while we're talking about a weight loss show, I want to reiterate, like, weight loss could be for health, but it can also be um, for aesthetics. And it might be that you have or someone has this idea in their head of what the right size for them is that isn't necessarily the healthiest weight for them, Mm -hmm. especially if you're focused on, for example, um, getting stronger, that's going to cause you to take up more space, Um, muscle weighs more than fat. So you might not necessarily be losing weight, but you might be seeing metabolic advantages from other things. And all of these need to be taken into consideration. And I just want to encourage everyone, if you're feeling like you're getting sucked into, especially this time of year, like like you're failing at whatever your weight loss goals are, or you know, you don't like the way you look, like that might also be something that is just as much a mental shift as it is a physical shift. And so that show would be a good place to go listen to where we focused on a lot of that. I think for me, Um, it has definitely been a journey and my goal is no longer to be thin. Like I just, I know that I have disordered eating. And so for me, I focus on moving, I focus on sleeping and eating foods that make me feel energized and help my digestion. And I add nutrients and I focus on anti-inflammatory foods. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Um, do I strive to always be the best version of myself? Absolutely. But I need to love and respect where I am today in order to ever want to be better in the future. And so um, those are just all things that I think are important for us to consider as we move forward. Um, And one of the ways that people can tweak both how they feel physically as well as aesthetically is with red light therapy. Mm -hmm. I just... I want to say, and this is, you know, as much as the show is sponsored like this, I could not be any more authentic or true in saying if I start my day with red light therapy, I mentally feel better. So I I think that there is something about what my, whether it's my mitochondria or what, I don't know, I'm sure you could tell me, um, is getting from that boost. But I know, like, I am more prone to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. I am more more prone to make sure I go to water aerobics or that I, you know, get my vegetables that day. All of the decisions lead to better choices if I get that boost of red light therapy in the morning. And so if you feel like you're struggling, this might be something to look into because I think it really does, like I said, help both from the emotional aspect um, as well as the physical for me. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I've talked on the show previously about the health crash that I had last fall and that, um, one of the things that I did to, um, 
start my recovery from that, I'm, I'm certainly not back to pre-health crash uh, level of health. But one of the things that made a huge difference, especially to my mental health, that was where things got um, like really scary for me and really forced me to make a lot of very hard decisions, um, especially with regards to travel in 2020. Um, But one of the the key um, tools for me for recovering was to dedicate at least once a day um, to red light therapy with my juve. And the reason for that, um, is that there's actually some really, I mean, it's emerging science. Like most of the studies have just been from the last year. I would love to see more data. I am trying to pull together a blog post on this topic, but, um, regular listeners don't hold your breath. This is probably two or three months away. Um, but, uh, but there's actually some really interesting research showing that, uh, red light therapy, and this is actually, especially, the infrared wavelengths. I always find it fascinating. What Juve has done is genius to combine red and near infrared because they complement the wavelengths complement each other in so many different ways with regards to our health. And there's certain things that you can attribute entirely to one wavelength, other things you entire can attribute entirely to the other wavelength, and some of which is really that combination of those two wavelengths. So the um, HPA axis. Um, uh, regulatory effects are mediated through the near infrared wavelengths, but it actually can help reduce cortisol and regulate our stress response, which is real. I mean, for me, um, stress is my, you know, basically my, my, my biggest ongoing challenge. It's my stone that I keep having to roll up the hill. Um, but it's, um, that's where I think for me, red light therapy, uh, has been the most helpful in recent months. Um, you know, I also, when I first started using it, the biggest thing I noticed was the complete disappearance of the residual fibromyalgia pain that I still had at that point. Um, but more recently it's been that, uh, mental health boost, a mood boost. Um, and, um, it's been very, very helpful for me in my recovery over the last, uh, four ish months or so. And I suspect, I mean, I can't point to a study that would prove this, but I suspect, Stacey, that that's where you're finding that it helps to kind of hold other things together because it's, it's you know, those are all uh, behaviors that are linked to stress. Um, and so if you're regulating your stress response with your juve session every morning, then that's going to translate to not having... Uh, not making choices that are response to stress later in the day. Right. Um, so I, I mean, again, I, I love Juve. I really hope that our listeners go and check them out. Their website is juve.com slash paleo view. So that's J O O V V slash paleo view. Um, you know, we, the reason why we love them as a sponsor is because we love them period. Uh, and we use them and, um, they're, you know, I, I don't know if I can say enough good things about them. Um, check them out. So I know it's not technically part of our ad copy, but I would be remiss to mention to our listeners because we've talked about Juve so often. I know it's a huge expense. This is the first time I have ever seen Juve have any sort of like a significant sale. Um, so Sarah, I don't know if you know this, but the max is almost a third off if I've done the math correctly. What? It's so I think it starts at the duo all the way to the elite are all on sale. But if I've done the math just top of head correctly, the max, which is the one with the two large panels and then the two smaller panels um, are... Normally it's almost four thousand, and right now it's under two, uh, under three thousand. So, um, nearly a third, or more than a third, or I don't know. Anyway, huge savings. Oh <laughs> so I'll just gosh. put that there. I have never seen Juve go on sale before. I know. Um, I I really I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that that sale is still going on by the time this episode airs because that would be just our luck. Hmm. Um. Uh, and I'm sure it's like a while supplies last kind of things, but I know like I've heard from a lot of listeners before, like they listen to the red light show. They understand how 
like amazing it is, but it's, but it's an just investment cost. For sure. it, it is. It's yeah. you know can be cost prohibitive and an investment. So seeing it at almost a thousand dollars off, I'm like, go check it out. See if mm-hmm. maybe you can, you and your neighbor can timeshare it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully you can uh, make it work if you've been wanting it for a long time. Cause like, like Sarah said, and I've said, I've never seen it go on sale like this before. I don't know if it's, you know, they're changing out models or what. We did not get this information. No, from Drew, I don't. But we wanted to share yeah. it. So we just found it on their website. Like, right. Exactly. I'm poking right. around on our, on the link that we shared and I'm like, Oh, under the shop. Yeah, Wait, I haven't what's this? heard I haven't heard anything from them about a redesign, but that would make sense. Right. If they were de- but I've also, I've got one of the, the legacy models and uh, one of the new modular ones. Um, and, um, it, and I, you know, like it, it really is like the, the lights themselves have not changed. So um, I would, I would still, yeah. Even if, even if that is the reason, which I have no idea if that's it, this is, this yeah, is my, such a fantastic opportunity. My model is the old model and it's lasted years and years, no mm-hmm. issues, you know. So uh, anyway, check it out if you're interested. Um, if you enjoyed the show, well, first of all, thank you for listening. <laughs> if you enjoyed the show, <laughs> thanks for making it this far. Um, if you enjoyed the show and you think someone else would enjoy the show, the greatest gift that you can give us is passing it along to whomever you think might be interested and also leaving a review so that others thinking about listening can feel confident in your suggestion. Um, we thank you so much for being here and we will be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Work-at-home parents are the unsung saints of the universe. Thank you. What is even happening? I don't understand. (laughs) Between the kids and... P.S. Matt said yes to two people sleeping over last night, and he's not here to deal with it. (laughs) And then the dog. And Uh then the batteries were absconded with from my mouse because children are evil human beings Mm -hmm. who, you know, are basically like pirates. And I'm like, I sit down, I'm like, oh, Maga. <laughs> the the battery stealing is uh that I remember my brothers doing that as kids. And it was every single time. Like it was it they would get into so much trouble. We have a yet. drawer of batteries. Is it really that hard to just go grab it? Like I mean, I understand that it's easier that it's right here on my desk, but clearly I'm not giving consequences great enough for the theft of my personal belongings. Time for a bigger stick. No, goodness. (laughs) Thank you for your patience is what I mean to say. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.